Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Silvati's podcast. So I'm really excited this week because I have Dr. Stephanie Montros joining me. And Stephanie is a DO in America, and she's been in practice for four and a half years. Hi, Stephanie. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So the way we, well, we've never actually met in person, which is really interesting because the way I was introduced to you was through your TikTok videos. So yeah, I actually have seen a few patients in office recently, probably like six or so, that they have found me through TikTok, which is something I never thought would actually happen. Uh, My medical assistant just said one day, she's like, you know, you need to show people manipulations on TikTok. And I was like, that sounds crazy, but okay. And I had no idea even really what TikTok was and she showed me what it was. It's like, okay, fine, I will post some videos. And it got more views than I really thought it would. Absolutely, it's taken off. And I think you're one of the first and the, one of the only osteopaths who really embraced TikTok as a medium and have been garnering so, all these views and comments and attention from it. So I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I really think it is. I think it's important for people to know that there are other avenues for pain other than medication. And that's, that's one of the big reasons that I continue to do OMT. That's the acronym for it, osteopathic manipulative therapy, because I just think it's so beneficial and so helpful for people, people with chronic pain, people for acute pain. I I think it's great. So I really resonated well with it in medical school and I enjoyed doing it in residency and I've just continued to do it. And I see tons of patients for it. Yeah, and it shows in the comments because people in the comments are always asking where you're based or where they can find other osteopaths like you. And it's just a yeah. sweet thing to be able to see online. Yeah, it's it's super nice. And I wish I had answers for them, but I don't. It's it's really hard to find a DO that does manipulation. So I will say in my office, there are four of us, five of us, um, one's an MD who will do some manipulations. Um, but there's it's really hard to find someone. The next one I know is like an hour away from us and there's a few in Michigan, but I don't know a ton. Wow, and that's really interesting because one of the things I actually wanted to ask you about is uh, the majority of our listeners will be sort of Europe-based and UK-based. And so uh, so I'm, I can suddenly talk till the moon and back about the, the route for osteopathic, for osteopathic training in the UK, for example. But I think it would be really interesting to see what the route of training would be for, for, for you, for example, being based in the States and being based where, you know, AT still originated and, and yeah. brought it over. I wonder if you could tell us a bit more about the route for osteopathy on your sure side. Can. So you start with your four years of undergraduate, like most people do. You can go straight to medical school. I chose to get my master's degree. Just it better help kind of set me apart and help me get in medical school. Um, and then I did medical school for four years. And it is essentially the same medical school as an MD school is. You learn the exact same things, the exact same classes. Um, only difference is, is really what the philosophy that DOs believe having like a more holistic approach than compared to like what the MD philosophy is. Um, and then the other difference is, is obviously learning OMT. Um, we start that in our first year and you do, we did it twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays. We would go for a couple hours and learn these different techniques, learn the reasoning behind them, the philosophy behind them. We would have exams on them. So it was part of our curriculum for the first two years. Uh, Now, when you get into your third year and your fourth year, 
it's, it's more like clinical based. And so you're doing different rotations. So if you want to learn more manipulations, you have to seek that out. Um, I did do that during my fourth year. I did a rotation with someone who just does manipulations as her practice. And that really helped like cement that I love to do it. And I was able to see how beneficial it was to patients. So I knew that's something that I wanted to continue to do. So I continued to do that. And then in my family medicine residency, I found somebody else who I was able to do because you can choose some rotations you want to do in residency as well. Um, I was able to do an elective rotation with manipulations again. So I've just continued to learn more and learn what I can and try and develop and hone my skills. Um, and then I continue to do it in practice. I see, I don't know, at least at least two a day with manipulations, if not more. Some days I'll have eight in a day. Sometimes it really just depends. Yeah, and that's the one thing that you mentioned earlier that was really interesting was sort of the MD sort of perspective. So what essentially is the difference between an MD and a DO, for example? There's there's really not a ton. So the difference is like a DO, the philosophy basically is the person is a whole. So instead of there being like these different symptoms and just focusing on those specific symptoms it's more your body is one as a whole in one portion might affect another and so it's just just more like a holistic whole based approach as opposed as opposed to like individualized symptoms okay so it really hones in on, on the original principles of osteopathy in that way yeah. and so it carries through um and I wonder because obviously in in the UK we do a four-year training program and it's a master's integrated program I wonder, having a sort of more MD or a DO approach on, on your side, for example, how that changes, one, how you look at people or your practice or your, even your ethos to treating, for example. You know, I really don't know because like I know plenty of MDs and DOs and I really think it's more personality based on who that person is because I know plenty of MDs who think the same way I do and who have a more holistic approach. Just, just in general, I'm a more holistic physician. So like I believe in vitamins being helpful. If somebody has insomnia, I'm trying valerian root as opposed to just getting medication. So I just, I really think it depends on the individual person and not as much like, yes, I got that in school and I was taught those things, but like, it just depends on the type of practice that you want to do. And me being in family medicine, I've just been able to explore more holistic type options, more herbal remedies, and not just medications alone. And that's a really interesting point that you make about valerian root, because um, a couple of months ago, or at least last year, rather, um, we talked to somebody who's um, sort of developing sort of CBD type um, oils and treatments, and he talked about valerian root for sleep. And yeah. what was really interesting was that was the first time I had learned about that or heard about that from somebody else so I'm really sort of excited that that's something that you do on a regular basis I I love learning about this stuff I actually want to get an herbal medalist medalist an herbal um medicine certification that is mentioned in my plan um and it's hard to find those things I looked at eastern medicine like Chinese traditional medicine but found out that like you can't really get all those herbs here anyway. And that schooling is just so long. I don't have the time for that. Um, but I was looking at an herbal certification. It's a lot less and I can kind of do it on my own time. So that's something at some point I want to do. Um, Cause I love, I love learning about that kind of stuff. I use valerian root for sleep. I think combination CBD and THC is great for pain control or for sleep. Um, there, one or the other herbalist, like vitamin D is a great supplement that most people end up needing. 
uh, magnesium, there's different forms of magnesium. There's like five or six different forms and everything is good for different ones. Like magnesium glycinate is going to be good more for like headaches and fatigue. Uh, magnesium citrate is good for constipation. So there's just, there's all sorts of different things out there. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that you talked about was that you work currently in family medicine. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think that attracts a certain type of patient to your practice or who wants to receive osteopathic treatment from you? You know, not really. No. So like most people come to me as like their general practitioner, family medicine. So they just come to me for like their physical or if they have certain issues. Um, so I'm not really sure how it works in the UK, but like you have your primary care physician and they refer you to specialists if you need specialists. Um, and so like I'm doing the regular blood work and doing the skin checks and pap smears, breast exams, colonoscopy, that, that kind of stuff. Um, so like I do those things and then they'll a lot of times bring to me, yeah, doc, I've got this back pain. I've got this shoulder pain. And then I will explain to them what I do and they're super we're excited and we try it. Um, so most of them have no idea that I do manipulations. Um, some will see on, so we have a profile that's online of like our, um, all of our providers where I work. And so some of them will see that I'll do that and they don't fully understand it, but they're like, oh yeah, I read that on the website. Um, and then they'll come in like questioning about that and wondering about that and seeing if it's something that can help them. So it sounds like you don't really have to convince patients about osteopathy. It almost feels no. like a natural fit. Oh God, I don't think I've ever really, I maybe one patient I've had to convince, but most people I'm like, listen, and how I explain it, it's, it's really hard to explain unless you've actually had it. So I describe it as a mix between chiropractic and physical therapy, not as much as like the cracking and popping, um, not as quick and, but, but more than what physical therapy is. So, and I tell, and I tell them that, and I'm like, there's really, it's really hard to know until you actually have it done to you. And then like, I do the manipulation and I'm like, so can you explain it? And they're like, no no, I can't. Magic, that's what it is. Magic. And I'm like, basically, that's what we'll see. We'll call it magic. <laughs> but, it, it, but it works. Like, it's it's proven. Like, AT still created it and has used it since the 1800s. It was developed before chiropractic was. Um, and so, like, it's been a proven thing that's worked for people over 100 years. And so, I just continue to do it. I think it's great. And did you always intend to sort of specialize or, or take further training in osteopathy? Or was that something that naturally developed through your training? No, actually, um, I actually want to do pediatrics for the longest time. Um, my, my first goal was to be a pediatric oncologist. And because of family reasons, I wanted to stay in Michigan and there's only so many pediatric residencies. So family was actually my backup. I said, I need something that I'm going to be happy in and I could see kids in family medicine and Family medicine is where I ended up matching. And I'm actually very, very happy that, that it happened that way. They, they say things happen for a reason and I really think they do because I don't think that peds would have been the right fit for me. I'm able to do so much more in family and I really enjoy it. And so then I'm, I'm wondering how did osteopathy fit into all of that for you? Or um, I, didn't, I didn't know too much about it until I actually got into medical school. So like I read about what osteopathic school was, but like when you're reading about osteopathic schools, they don't say a ton about like actual OMT. So I didn't really know what it was until first year or first semester of DO school. Um, and they're teaching us about it and we're learning how to do it. So I, I really didn't know about it until I got there. Wow. And do you think that would ever sort of, has that changed or developed over time since you've trained and you've graduated and you've been in practice? Probably not. I just, I don't think it's something that's so widespread people know about. 
Yeah. Like, I mean, TikTok is huge. And I'm the only one who's probably talking about OMT on TikToks. And there's like millions and millions of people on there. So I, I don't think it's as wide, widely known as it should be. It's interesting because I find this a similar sort of situation here in the UK where, you know, people will definitely know what a physiotherapist does. They'll definitely know what a chiropractor does. But yeah. when you say you're an osteopath, they sort of, they, they pause and they look at you and you're like, okay, what's my 30 second spiel here? <laughs> <laughs> What's my elevated pitch? Because that's what I feel it always needs. And yeah. I'm really hoping we get to a point where we don't have to do that anymore. That would be fantastic because I still have people coming in and they're like, well, what's a DO? What's what's the difference? Uh, wh why didn't you go to MD school? And I'm like, well, they're the same thing. And people still really don't truly understand that yet. So in a lot of the videos that I see, um, you've got students coming in and you've got rotations and things like that. Can you tell me a bit more about how that works for you? Yeah, so in your third and in your fourth year, you're doing different rotations. So you're rotating through family medicine, you're rotating through pediatrics, you're rotating through cardiology, you're doing all the things. And your third year is basically to help you decide what do you want to do? What type of physician do you want to be? And then your fourth year is more kind of honing your skills and being able to do more rotations in what you think you want to do. So you can do multiple family medicine rotations if that's what you so choose to do. Um, and so we have multiple students that come through our office because the program director for family medicine is one of the physicians at my office. Um, and so he asked me a couple years ago if I wanted to take a student and I was like, yeah, sure, why not? Um, and so I've had a student every six weeks since that point in time. And so I have a different student coming in. They are from Ross. Um, which is one of the Caribbean medical schools. So they're all MDs that are coming to me um, and they know nothing about OMT and I show it to them and they're all super excited about it. I've had a few of them say that they want to learn how to do it. Um, and Michigan State University actually offers a program for MDs where they can learn some of that stuff. So uh, some of them are super interested and they want to know about it. And I think they've contacted the school and want to take some courses on it. How amazing is that, that you can have that impact on somebody yeah. who knows nothing coming into it about osteopathy and then these wanting to do this extra bit of course that's amazing well I, you know a big portion of it is like we've seen this like huge opioid epidemic right it's like a huge part of our training we now have to have cme credits in opioid addiction so it, that, that's part of our training now and so to see something that you can do other than just prescribing opiates is probably super intriguing to them because it's not something they've ever seen before i mean that's that's part of what drove me to do it is it's a super intriguing thing. Um, I actually did a research project and published it when I was in residency. So I took, um, I took as many people as I could, but I had two groups. I had one group who was medication naive and one group who was already on opioids and they had both never had manipulations or at least they had not had manipulations in the last six months. Um, started them on manipulations, doing it every, it was really based upon what the physician wanted to do every two weeks, every four weeks. Um, and then we tracked their pain progress and their function progress with certain surveys and patients in both groups improved in their pain scores. Um, and then my opioid population, which I didn't have as many as I wanted to because our residency program stopped accepting those patients, um, but they were able to decrease their medication dosage, which I think is huge. And I've actually seen that in practice where I'll take patients who are on chronic hydrocodone for pain control, and I'll be able to decrease their pain medication, um, their dosage or the amount they take. So I think that's been amazing for them. And like you said, that, that is huge. Yeah. For symptom modification, for pain relief, and just, you know, getting people off medications that they might not necessarily need. 
do you find that patients coming to you are looking for something like that? Are they looking to- Oh God, yes. A lot of patients come in just looking to try and get off meds in general. And like, I fully support them. If they need meds, they need meds. But a lot of things can be affected through diet and exercise and lifestyle modification. So I'm always talking to patients about that. And like, you wanna come off these blood pressure medications? get your butt to the gym, do a home workout program. You need to change the way you're eating. So I spend a lot of my time in my job doing that is talking about lifestyle modifications. My goal is to like with diet, like when I get new diabetics coming in to see me and they're on insulin, my goal is to always get them off insulin. That is always my number one goal. And I tell patients that. And how do they respond? Super excited. <laughs> They're like, okay, what do I do? <laughs> so yeah, I've, I've had very few patients who are like, no, it's fine. But that's kind of my patients who are like 70 something, 80 something. We've been on this for years and they don't want to make a change. But most of my patients come in excited and they're like, yes, tell me what I can do. How can I come off this medication? I mean, who wants to poke themselves every day and give themselves insulin? I don't think anybody wants to do that. Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of the patients that I come uh, that come to me, granted I work in the, in you know in a physiotherapy department, so it's a little different. But when we do that intake and their consult and the medications that they're on, I'm just sitting there like, wow, this is a lot, and yeah. there is a lot that I don't understand. Um, so I wonder how it's interesting to hear a different perspective where people actually actively want to come off medication yeah. and aren't looking for just another analgesic or you know another symptom relief that's not going to be long term and, and that excites me you already touched upon some of these but what are the barriers for patients coming to you where they might hesitate to make those lifestyle choices and things like that money i think that's a huge barrier so if, if we're talking about like back pain and OMT specifically that. So I use a lot of other modalities. So like I will, I will start doing manipulations, but if I don't see they're making enough progress, I'll send a physical therapy. So some people don't have transportation to get to physical therapy. Some people can't afford the co-pays for physical therapy. Um, I have another person I'll send patients to, I'll have specific massage therapists. I have massage therapists who specialize more in like they, they kind of do manipulations, um, but it's more massage therapy based and I'll send patients to them. Now, like massage therapy is not covered by insurance. And so that is going to be another hindrance. That's my cat. <laughs> that's going to be another hindrance is being able to pay for that. Um, so trans transport is hard. And then there are my patients who are in there, I, I see, I've done OMT on patients who are 94 years old. Um, and so them coming to see me is easy. They have family that can bring me, but trying to get them to do PT or other things, it's just, it's really hard on them. Yeah. And it suddenly sounds, we're going to get a cameo from the cat. This is lovely. <laughs> and it suddenly sounds, you know, the way AT still would have, you know, I hope I'm probably making presumptions here, would have practiced in terms of, you know, you know, getting the physical, getting the mental, getting the nutrition, getting sleep and all those things. One that's thing that great. I certainly, and, and yeah, and, and that's, that's one thing that I certainly struggle to, to maintain all those principles and integrity in my treatments because I feel people are coming to me and expecting a certain type of treatment or a certain modality of treatment. And to sit there and try to expand, like if they're coming to me with this and trying to expand it out here, it's, it feels like it's a lot to do. So I wonder how, like for your patients, what's the buy-in for them, for example? Like what makes them go, this is, what, this is what I need to do. This is who I need to see. I need to see Stephanie. 
I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So like most of my patients, it's, they're just scheduled with me. Like, I, I don't know why they're coming to see me. Um, but like, there's a lot of word of mouth and, and like Facebook is a big portion of that. So I, I've, I've had people say, oh, people really like you. And I recommended you on Facebook, which I think is super nice, but like a huge part of family medicine is just being able to communicate with your patients. I hear so many times my specialist didn't explain this. My specialist didn't explain that to me. I'm a gatekeeper of everything. I house all the medical records. I get all the notes from the consults because I like to be able to explain to my patient what's going on with them. I want them to be able to understand their health. I want them to understand what they can change and what they can work on. Cause a lot of them don't do that. I, specialists are very busy. They, they don't have, I know they don't have a lot of time to do that, but I have a little bit more time than they do. So I'm, I'm able to explain all those things to them. Yeah. And do you think that's a product of the, of the, and this is probably a larger question for everyone, not just for you, but do you think that's a product of the, the system or is it something else contributing to all of those sort of things? Oh, I'm sure it's partially a product of the system because the more patients you see, the more revenue that you bring in. It's just, that's, that's how it works in medicine. So even if it, even if you're um, on staff with a hospital, you're in something called an RVU based system, but it's still based on how many patients you see. So unfortunately we can't always give the kind of care we want because we don't have the time to do it. Now I'm seeing a lot of programs pop up. They're called MD VIP, but you essentially pay a premium for your physician. So you pay per month or pay a certain amount during the year. Um, and you have hour long appointments with your, with your patient, which is, which is super nice, but a lot of patients can't afford that. Um, but it, I mean, it's, it's a nice concept if, if you can do that. Um, and then like a, a family medicine doctor normally has like two, 3000 patients as like their census, um, MD VIP doctors have like two or 300. So it's a huge difference and it's, it's super nice, but it's just, there's a lot of patients who def definitely can't afford that. So. And it sounds like it keeps you quite busy in terms of just seeing an array of patients coming through your doors anyway, but then you've got this added treatment technique through the osteopathy or the OMT that you can add on to that. Yes. It's interesting to hear because it's, it reminds me almost because in the UK we have obviously the NHS system, which is what, where I currently work, but you also have the majority, I would say, the majority of osteopathic um, practitioners are in private practice. I think that would be fair to say. And I suddenly see the difference in terms of, like you said, time allocation. Yeah. I've got, you know, maybe a half hour appointment. And there are times where, you know, if the next patient's canceled or they just don't turn up and I can, you know, take, the, I'm not really supposed to do it. So if you're my employer, I never did this. Um, but if I can take someone through maybe like 45 minutes or even like oh, 15 yeah. minutes, it makes such a huge difference. Yeah, I will definitely do that. And so like, people always complain like my doctor takes forever or my doctor didn't see me on time. Well, most of the time it's because they're spending time with the patient before you. So I, tr I try and give as much time as I can to my patients so that they, they feel heard and they know I understand them, but time is a huge part of my job. And I wish I had more time with every patient, but there's just, you don't. Yeah. And one of the things that you talked about earlier was Facebook. And we already talked about TikTok. Why do you think people have resonated? Because you've really blown up on TikTok, and I'm and I'm I'm gonna say it because you might be too humble to say it, but um, you know, you've really had an impact on TikTok where people are commenting and people are liking the videos. Um, why do you think people have resonated with your content so well? I don't know. <laughs> I, pro 
probably because it's something new that they haven't seen. I guess like I like like I read through all of my comments. Um, and so like I'll see some people post like they like this is way different than the chiropractic TikToks I've seen. I don't know why they think it's different, but they think it's different. Maybe I explain things a little bit different. I don't know. Um, I, I really don't know why. And I, I think most of the other ones on there, there's a lot of males. So I think I'm one of the only females out there that is doing this. So maybe it's resonating differently. I don't know. Yeah. And especially when I started watching them, it, you know, a couple of them started popping up on my For You page and I was like, oh, this is an osteopath. This is so great to see. But the fact that you would like talk through like your standing exam examination, you talk through, you know, the, the, the differences in their shoulder, what their pelvis is doing, and you talk through the techniques, it almost makes me feel like I was back in school and being a student again. And I thought this is so similar and so refreshing. And I thought, okay, I, I know what I'm doing. I'm doing this right in a way. It was, it was really affirming <laughs> to see. I always worry about that. Like, I always worry that other physicians are watching me or people in school who are like, she didn't do that right. And I'm like, oh God, please, I hope I'm doing this right. <laughs> so because I will, I've had, I've had other um, people who are in DO school, they've commented to me, they're like, oh, cool, I'm on DO TikTok. And so like, I've got some people who will watch that. So I didn't, what, before I used to kind of just do the manipulations and I didn't talk through it. And then I started seeing those comments pop up. So I started doing more like, medical jargon and kind of explaining what I'm doing. Plus like it, it helps people understand like where I'm thinking, like what I'm thinking about. Like when I'm looking at a patient's hips, I'm concerned about certain things, but what landmarks am I looking at? Like you can't, they're not in my brain. You don't know what I'm thinking. So like, if I'm actually saying what I'm seeing, I feel like it might help and it helps people understand what I'm doing. So they think I'm not doing some voodoo magic, um, but <laughs> it helps them understand where I'm coming from. Yeah, and I mean, especially like, you know, coming from myself in terms of a practitioner approach, it's, you know, it's really affirming to see, okay, that's kind of similar to what I would do. Yeah. But then even from thinking of it from a patient perspective, if someone's watching this and they're like, oh, this is, this is, this works, this, this, you know, and you can see visible differences before and after your treatments, which I yeah. think is great. And I think that's really the, the, the key to patients looking or people, anyone looking at your videos, but it's the talking through bit that I really enjoy. Oh, I'm glad, to, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad I started doing it then. So <laughs> yeah. I never know what works and what doesn't unless somebody actually tells me. So it's, it's nice to have that feedback. Take this as a sign, Stephanie. Keep talking. Keep talking. <laughs> it's been such a pleasure to be able to talk to you, to, you know, understand the, the U.S. system and how it's similar, but also different to ours and talk through sort of how the, the, the constructs of the system that you work with and how similar it actually is here, even though, you know, we have a complete different system, but the, the barriers are still the same. And, but the work, and what I get from you is the integrity of the work remains regardless of where you are. I feel like it does. I mean, that's part of why we all go into medicine, right? Just to help people. So I feel like the integrity will be the same no matter where you go. Yeah, and that really does come across especially in your videos. And even from having this conversation, I'm just thankful that we've had this opportunity to be able to discourse and be able to just show people a different side that they might not be exposed to otherwise. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy I could do this. So I'm hoping other people can learn about it and maybe people seeing, cause you post on YouTube, I think. So hopefully other people can like understand what DOs are and what we do. Absolutely. Where can people find you on TikTok? Because I've talked a lot about your TikTok already. Where can <laughs> find you either on um, Facebook or on TikTok. 
I'm, I'm only on TikTok. I haven't posted anywhere else. I've had people ask to post like full videos on YouTube, but I, I just post on TikTok right now. So I think my handle is S Montrose. I think that's what it is. I'll link it down in the description box below. So I'll okay. sure all your social media sort of handles are down there. And if we can get a copy of that paper, that'd be amazing to read as well. Oh yeah, I'm sure I can get that to you. Yeah, and then that way people can actually look at it and, and people can actually see that it's an evidence-based approach, which is something that, at least for me, the physio physiotherapy world gets, um, you know, they get really sort of compounded in and everything has to be evidence-based. And sometimes at least on the osteopathic side, sometimes we can lack all these papers that show that what we do is evidence-based. So that's yeah. Okay, I can definitely do that. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time today, Stephanie. And you are so welcome. Get you back on to talk about more things because I just feel like we're scraping the surface here and there's so much more that we can talk about. Oh yeah, I would love to. Let me know whenever. I will gladly join you again.